Good morning, friends. Uh, today's message title is Walk on the Water, Pete. And it comes from Matthew 14, verses 22 to 33. It was Helen Keller who said, Life is either a daring adventure or it is nothing at all. Those words would ring true no matter who said them, but coming from someone who lived a life like Helen Keller, they merit special consideration. Born blind, deaf, and unable to speak, she somehow found a way out of the darkness and into the world around her. Her story is one of the great miracles of the 20th century, and millions of people have drawn inspiration from her example. So I ask you to consider her words a second time. Life is either a daring adventure, or it is nothing at all. When you bring this observation over into the spiritual realm, it looks something like this. The life of faith is inherently a life of risk. Now go back to the Bible and look at the people who did great things for God. Almost without exception, they were risk-takers who weren't afraid to lay it all on the line for God. Consider, for example, Noah, who built an ark. Abraham left Ur of the Chaldees to go to the Promised Land. Moses led the people of God out of Egypt. Joshua marched around the walls of Jericho. David defeated Goliath. Elijah faced down the prophets of Baal. Esther risked everything to save her people. Daniel refused to defile himself with the king's food. Nehemiah led the Jews to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. When you read the Bible again and again, you discover that the men and women who accomplished wonderful things for God weren't content to accept, accept the status quo. They thought that more could be done if only someone would lead the way. And when no one else stepped forward, they themselves volunteered. Now, when our little kiddos come to Sunday school, what kind of stories do we tell them? Well, the very stories I've just mentioned to you. We tell them about the so-called heroes of faith, Noah, Abraham, Moses, David, Daniel, all the rest. We talk about those brave souls who laid it all on the line for God. These are the people we hold up before our children. They're models we want them to follow. That is only right and proper because the life of faith is inherently a life of risk. If you are unwilling to take a chance, you can never discover what living by faith is all about. If you have to have all the answers before you can make a decision, if you're afraid to take a step unless you know things will work out to your advantage, faith will always be a mystery to you. Now, of all the stories in the New Testament that teach this truth, I know of none more beloved than the story of Peter walking, or at least attempting to walk on the water, in Matthew 14. No doubt you've heard this story before, and our children know it by heart, but somehow we never grow tired of it. The background of the story is pretty simple. Jesus is on the northwestern shore of the Sea of Galilee. Late in the day, he's just performed the great miracle of feeding 5,000 men with five loaves and two fishes. And understandably amazed and enthralled by this miracle, the people want to make him king. But Jesus, knowing that their enthusiasm is shallow, refuses them and instead goes off to pray by himself. After dismissing the crowd, he sends the disciples on ahead to the other side of the lake, telling them that he would meet them later. Matthew tells the story this way, starting in verse 22. Immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side, while he dismissed the crowd. After he dismissed them, he went up on the mountainside by himself to pray. So far, so good. As the disciples begin to sail across the lake, an enormous storm blows up. 
From the way the gospel writers tell the story, it seems as if the storm began around 8 o'clock in the evening and continued all night long. Given the fact that the Sea of Galilee is nestled against the mountains, this would not be unusual, except for the fact that most storms come and go rather quickly. The disciples are in the boat, struggling against the wind and the rain. It's 9 o'clock, 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock, 12 midnight, 1 a.m., 2 a.m., 3 a.m., and the storm just continues with no sign of letting up. And after eight or nine exhausting hours, the disciples were stuck in the middle of the lake, dirty, drenched, chilled to the bone, weary to the point that they begin to wonder if they would ever make it to shore alive. We pick up Matthew's story in verse 25. During the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. Now, by Roman reckoning, the fourth watch is somewhere between 3 and 6 a.m. It was sometime during that three-hour period that Jesus began walking on the water. Now, I, I hardly need to comment that this is a literal miracle. It's not a parable. I mean, Jesus, the man, not a vision, not an apparition, not a ghost, was literally walking on top of the rolling waves. Now, I don't know how he did it, but that he did it, I have no doubt. After all, he is the Lord of heaven and earth, the Lord of the natural, the supernatural, so walking on the water would not be difficult for the Son of God. Now, when the disciples saw him walking on the water, they were terrified, and someone said, it's a ghost. Well, they were wrong, but it wasn't a bad guess. I mean, after all, it's not every day you see someone taking a midnight stroll across the lake in the middle of a storm. So we can kind of understand their fear. They've been rowing and rowing and rowing and getting nowhere, and they can't seem to make it to shore. It's 4 or 4.30 in the morning. They're dead tired. Every muscle aches. The wind howls. The rain pelts from every angle. They're cold, tired, waterlogged. They're probably grumpy and hungry and frustrated. And suddenly, someone sees a figure walking across the water. Now, I think in that situation, I would probably say exactly what they said. It's a ghost. My first thought would not be, oh, wow, here comes Jesus. He's decided to walk on the water in the middle of the storm. I think I'd be one of the guys that said, I think it's a ghost. Shut up. Keep rowing. But Jesus, the text says, immediately said to them, take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat and walked on the water and came toward Jesus. Now, in preparing this message, I read several commentaries that actually kind of reacted negatively to what Peter did. They called him impulsive, headstrong, foolish for even wanting to walk on the water. See, some even suggested Peter thought he was better than the other disciples. But friends, there's nothing in the text that even remotely suggests that Peter was wrong for wanting to walk on the water. Actually, everything points in the other direction. Now, this is what I believe. I think the reason some commentators don't like what Peter did is because, well, to be honest, they're the kind of people who would never get out of the boat in the first place. At this point, Peter is not being impetuous. It's not as if he just jumps out of the boat and starts walking. That would have been pretty stupid. I mean, Matthew's very clear that Peter asked for permission first. If Jesus said no, then Peter stays in the boat. But Jesus didn't say no. He says, come. So Peter came. I mean, how can you criticize him for that? We must not miss the force of Jesus' words. When he said, take courage, it is I, 
don't be afraid, he used an expression that the disciples would have immediately understood. The phrase, it is I, is the Greek version of God saying in Exodus 3.14 that his name is I Am. Jesus links himself with the God who has, in the Old Testament, miraculously delivered his people again and again. It's not just that Jesus is saying, don't worry, it's me, I'm not a ghost. It's his way of saying, I am the Lord God of the universe. I created the wind, the waves, and I sent the storm. And it is the Lord himself who tells Peter to come to him in the water. So, when Jesus says, come, you'd better obey. When he says, walk, you'd better walk. In Peter's case, I mean, he was safer out on the water than in the boat. And at that moment, the smartest thing Peter could do was to get out of the boat. And once Peter is fully on the water, he turns and he walks toward Jesus, and his master walks toward him. Well, you know the story. Everything goes fine until Peter notices the storm all around him. Matthew tells us when he saw the wind, he was afraid. But the wind was there all along. I mean, the storm had been raging for hours, and Jesus comes to them in the middle of the storm. And according to verse 32, the wind doesn't just die down until Peter and Jesus get back in the boat. One commentary I read on the passage defined faith as concentration on Jesus. Now, I kind of find that helpful because we can all get distracted, especially when the storms of life rage around us. It's not easy to keep your eyes on Jesus in the middle of the night when the raging storm of fear threatens to overwhelm you. This text reminds us that not only does Jesus control the storm and send the storm, he reveals himself amid the storm. Now, often our purest vision of Jesus comes when the storms of life threaten to capsize the, the tiny boat of our faith. Well, what do we do then? Well, I think three things come to mind. One, pray for concentrating faith. Two, focus on Jesus. And three, fix your eyes on the Son of God. Now, let me say it again. The wind always blows around us. The mighty storm comes sooner or later. We have no choice or control over when the storm comes. Today the sun may be shining. Tomorrow we may find ourselves against the wind and the rain tossed about. I mean, life can turn on a dime. We all know that. What happened to Peter can happen to any one of us. For a moment he forgets about Jesus and remembers who he is and where he is. He's Peter, a Galilean fisherman who belongs back in the boat. And in that instant he looks down at his feet and sees nothing but water. And his mind comes to a quick conclusion. Oh man, I'm not supposed to be walking on water. This is impossible. And when he lost his concentration on Jesus, he began to sink. As he goes down into the water, he prays one of the shortest prayers in all the Bible. Lord, save me. In this case, brevity, of course, was the course of wisdom. And when you're sinking, you don't have time to pray a long prayer. If you aren't quick about it, you'll drown before you get to the point. The Bible says that immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. His words to Peter are very important. You have little faith. Why did you doubt? Now in English, you have little faith is four words. But in the Greek, Jesus used only one word, little faith. It's a title or a nickname. I mean, Jesus called Peter little faith. I mean, he's saying, little faith, why did you doubt? By the way, where did this conversation take place? In the middle of the lake, pitch dark, the wind howling, rain beating down, the boat with the other disciples is rocking up and down a few yards away. 
Peter's sopping wet and scared to death. Jesus is standing on the water as Peter clutches his arm for dear life. Now, after the Lord pulls Peter up from the drink, he decides that this is what the educators call a teachable moment. So Jesus shares a few things that will help Peter in his spiritual life. And no doubt, I think if I was Peter, I'd be muttering in my breath, just get me back in the boat. I promise I'll never pull this stunt again. Now, meanwhile, back at the boat, the other fellows are watching this whole scene. I'm sure their mouths wide open, their eyes as big as saucers. They had never seen or even dreamed such a thing was possible. Verses 32 and 33 wrap up this little episode. And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Now, before we leave this story, let me make two observations. First, give Peter credit, because he was willing to do what no one else was willing to do. Before you come down too hard on Pete for taking his eyes off Jesus, just remember that there were 11 others back in the boat watching. Before you sink, you got to be out of the water. If you stay in the boat, you'll never sink, but you'll never walk on water either. Let me remind you, this is not the story of Bartholomew walking on the water because Bartholomew was still in the boat. It's not the story of Matthew or James walking on the water because they were still in the boat. This story is all about Peter walking on the water because he was the only one with the courage to get out of the boat. Now, maybe some of the others wanted to or would have if Peter had stayed out there longer. I mean, but give the man credit. I mean, cut Peter some slack. He did it, and they didn't. That's why this story is about him and the other 11 aren't even mentioned. So before you criticize Peter for having little faith, remember that little faith is better than no faith, because that's what those other guys had who stayed behind. Second, when Jesus called Peter little faith, he was not rebuking Peter for attempting too much, but for trusting too little. Do you see the difference? Jesus is not saying, Peter, you should have stayed in the boat. Jesus did not rebuke Peter for getting out of the boat. To the contrary, Jesus is really saying, Peter, if you just kept your eyes on me, we could have trotted across the whole Mediterranean. I mean, that brings me to my final argument for getting out of the boat. If what I said hasn't quite convinced you, here's my last word to everyone who listens to this message. We're all going to die someday, and we're either going to die in the boat or out on the water. Some of us are going to die sooner, some later, but no one gets off planet Earth alive unless Jesus decides to come back in our lifetime. Now, as I wrote this message, I'm what some people might call old, and frankly, I feel it every day. It's not that I feel old, I I really don't, but I know I'm not 25 anymore. I look at my kids and my grandson, and I see in them not only the potential, but also great energy. I mean, they could run circles around me without breaking a sweat. Well, such is the course of life for all of us. Live long enough, and you'll see the younger generation rising beneath you. No one lives here forever. Fathers grow old and die. Little boys don't stay little boys forever. Sooner or later, we all have a date with death. Now, lest that seems depressing, I simply use it to remind myself that how I spend my life really matters because I won't be here forever. I want to live until the very last moment, fully invested for Jesus and his kingdom, doing everything I can to advance his cause in this world, taking risks, if you will, based on kingdom principles. 
Staying in the boat may be comfortable and safe, but it's not what the life of faith is all about. Jesus calls us to find out what he is doing in this world and then to fling ourselves wholeheartedly into his cause. In the end, who looks better? Peter, who tried and sank, or the other 11 who didn't even try? Now, there's a reason we don't preach about the other 11. They played it safe. Only Peter took the risk. That's why we're still talking about him after 2,000 years. Now, I realize that it's risky to walk on water. It's possible that you might sink, but you'll never know until you get out of the boat. Heavenly Father, grant that we might be risk-takers for the kingdom of God. Shake us loose from the security of staying in the boat. Help us to walk on the waters of faith because we believe that Jesus, who is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, will hold us up. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Until next time, see the vision, live the mission, feel the passion.